0: Coming to you from a cozy little condo, high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome Welcome to the Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts.
1: And a happy Friday to you. Uh, A warm, sunny Friday. I caved and turned on the AC just for a little bit today, just to kind of, you know, cut the the heat just enough. I've got furry fat cats and, you know, cats kind of like warmth, but... There could be too much of that too. Also for me. So, uh, anyway, hope your Friday is going pretty well for you. We are uh, starting to get uh, a little taste of what uh, investigators say went down in the deadly uh, back and forth between Georgia State troopers and the now dead Atlanta Forest defender, uh, uh, Manuel uh, Tehran, uh, Manuel pa- Paez Tehran who uh, was felled by gunfire in that uh, skirmish in January. We're also learning now that the DeCab CEO has chosen to close Entrenchment Creek Park due to uh, what he calls traps, uh, various traps set throughout the park uh, to cause harm. He even uh, has uh, had a big slideshow on an easel today showing... Um, two-by-fours with nail spikes, among other things, being used to potentially harm people. So he has closed off the Entrenchment Creek Park area uh, until further notice. Uh, Michael Thurman issued that order today uh, due to, quote, what he calls a dangerous, impossible, life-threatening condition there. Of course, that's near the side of the planned uh, Atlanta Public Safety Training Center. Uh, of course, where all the protests have been going on all this time against uh, what is coined to be Cop City. Uh, Yesterday we interviewed, and if you were listening on America One Radio, you may not have gotten to hear it. We'll uh, re-air it in a little bit. We uh, spoke with environmental journalist Adam Fetterman, who uh, revealed that the FBI is investigating just your garden variety, pardon the pun, garden variety environmental uh, organizations in places like Chicago due to any sort of social media ties that they can find with the Atlanta Forest Defenders or the folks uh, fighting against Cop City. So I'm going to air a little bit of it, uh, In fact, I'll air a good chunk of that interview for you here and recycle that since uh, some folks didn't get to hear it yesterday. If you listen to the podcast, unfortunately, sorry, it's going to be a bit of a rerun for you. Let's first go over the uh, reports that came out uh, involving the fatal shooting. So according to uh, reports that came out today, uh, released to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, uh, a Georgia State trooper initially fired pepper balls inside Manuel Tehran's tent, which uh, investigators alleged led to Tehran firing from an enclosed tent outside, whether he intended to harm anyone or not or to send people scattering is unclear. Uh, Obviously, investigators contend that one of Tehran's shots injured a state trooper. He, of course, was fired upon and hit at least 14 times, according to a private autopsy. So according to the AJC, uh, the reports allege that Tehran was found inside a tent, that he briefly spoke to officers, refusing to leave before the pepper balls were fired inside Uh, the tent enclosure, and the report says that Tehran fired the first gunshot, six officers returning fire on him. Uh, One of the reports written by a corporal over the special operations group within the Georgia Department of Public Safety, uh, the names of all the officers involved have been redacted. According to this corporal's report, troopers were clearing the forest that morning when they encountered uh, a dozen or two tents set up in no particular fashion Uh, officers began clearing the tent and looking for protesters. A sergeant told him there was a person inside a tent that refused to leave. He asked for an officer equipped with pepper balls to force the person out of the tent. The person inside the tent would later be identified as Tehran, who is quoted in the report as telling officers, no, I want you to leave. This quote, the way the suspect made his statement was a point of interest to me. It was very confident in manner, and it was immediately apparent to me that he had no intention of, of cooperating. That's the corporal writing in his report. Uh, Now, Tehran's family, uh, according to the AJC, has continued to question the official accounts of the shooting, particularly the part where uh, investigators say Tehran, A, owned a handgun, and the bullet that wounded the officer was fired from it. Now, the report says the corporal warned uh, Manuel Tehran that he was going to shoot chemical agents into the tent. And according to the report, Tehran was going to be arrested for criminal trespassing after refusing to comply. So as the article goes on, after being told of the charge by the sergeant on the scene, Tehran unzipped a small section of the tent but did not open the tent door completely or unzipped the mosquito net uh, on the interior of the tent. Uh, Tehran was looking around at each person standing in front of the tent. Uh, Corporal could not see Tehran's entire face, it says. And then Tehran zipped up the tent again, uh, at which point the corporal discharged pepper balls into the tent. Uh, the corporal saying in the report, I discharged a volley of pepper balls into the tent, through the opening of the tent door, through the mosquito net. I did not count how many rounds I discharged, but I believe it to be around five rounds. I wanted to contaminate the rear of the tent with the chemical agent carried by the pepper ball to encourage the subject to ex- exit the front of the tent peacefully without causing him un- any unnecessary comfort by striking him with the pepper ball rounds. The report goes on to say, uh, Gunfire erupted from inside the tent toward the three troopers moments after the last volley of pepper balls. I knew the suspect in the tent was shooting at us because I could hear the gunshots coming from inside of the tent. I could see the front of the tent door flapping as the bullets ripped through it, and I could hear bullets striking the vegetation surrounding me, the corporal wrote in the report. Uh, The corporal went on to say that Tehran was steadily shooting at them and didn't know how many rounds were fired at which point the corporal said he drew his pistol and began shooting at Tehran inside the tent. I continued to fire my weapon until it was readily apparent to me that the suspect within the tent was no longer trying to murder us. Uh, The AJC report goes on to say a sergeant on the scene wrote in a second report that he fired at the tent with his rifle. The report says Tehran had a Smith & Wesson semi-automatic handgun and that six officers returned fire. This quote, inside Tehran was located suffering from multiple gunshot wounds and was unquestionably deceased from his wounds. A handgun was observed inside the tent near Tehran's body. Uh, Details from that article written by Joseph Papp at the AJC, by the way. Uh, Going back to the closure of Entrenchment Creek Park, CEO Michael Thurman has told officials that unauthorized folks who have entered the property could face charges, including criminal trespassing, Any unauthorized vehicle parked in any of the properties will be towed and impounded with the owner facing possible charges. Entrances and exits to the properties listed will be closed with the county posting signs prohibiting public access. Anyone caught moving, removing, or defacing signs could face prosecution. Uh, Joseph Pat, by the way, reporting on that as well. Meanwhile, as we talked about yesterday, the FBI has been looking at environmental activists much The same way J. Edgar Hoover's FBI was looking at civil rights activists in the 1950s and 1960s. Curious. Anyway, we talked with Adam Fetterman, who wrote for Type Investigations about this, and here's some of that conversation. Adam, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it.
2: It's great to be here. Thanks for having
1: me on. You've, you've covered this uh, a great deal, and I remember uh, seeing something you had tweeted earlier today that uh, in, in your time covering environmental uh, activism, it's not unusual that the FBI might be keeping their eye on organizations uh, like uh, the, you know the, the Defend Atlanta Forest folks. But this actually stems with some groups that just get together and meet informally and informatively in places like Chicago.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's a long history, of course, of FBI surveillance of, of environmental activists and, and other um, protest movements, um, of course, going, going back decades. Uh, but part of what's interesting about this story is that the groups the FBI uh, included in this particular file, it's only 28 pages of, of documents released under the Freedom of Information Act. Uh, these activist groups are based in Chicago, and they seem to have been lumped together uh, with, you know, quote-unquote anarchist extremists and domestic terrorists because of a couple of events held in Chicago with activists who have been campaigning in Atlanta around, um, you know, the the cop city project and efforts to uh, protect the forest and public park there. So fairly thin evidence or cause to open um, what the FBI calls an assessment. But the fact is that they they don't really need much more than that these days, Uh, sort of post 9-11 national security environment that we live in gives the FBI great leeway to kind of poke around um, in these uh, circles.
1: It makes me wonder if there are folks who might be uh, sympathetic to uh, any environmental plight who might be concerned about joining an activist organization simply out of fear of being in an FBI file now.
2: I mean, I think that question often comes up when when you talk when I talk to activists, however, it it rarely is something that deters them from engaging, um, you know, with these groups or or in these particular campaigns. However, you know. you do have to think about what's currently happening in Atlanta where uh-huh. um, you know uh, more than three dozen activists have been charged with domestic terrorism under mm. the state's uh, 2017 um, domestic terror law. Now, that is somewhat uh, different from being included in an FBI file because this is a state uh, law and the charges are obviously being brought um, right. in DeKalb County, I believe. But the, the point of that is just to say that the FBI characterization of uh, a, a, a large movement, really, um, as violent extremists can have dangerous implications.
1: But there could be some correlation to that, too. Can there not? I mean, can there not be some correlation that has local law enforcement treating these folks differently? I mean, a lot of them were held without bond and for more than a week in jail. And it makes you wonder if this uh, the, the, the labeling of anarchist and domestic terrorist has some implications.
2: Oh, undoubtedly, and I don't want to suggest that it uh, suggest otherwise. And, and I do actually in the story I do cite references to FBI involvement in uh, the law enforcement response to the um, mm-hmm. uh, in, you know to the forest defenders and encampment there in Atlanta. So clearly there is FBI involvement, and and you know we know through past reporting that that this kind of information does get shared through the Department of Homeland Security or potentially other other avenues. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's no question that it can um, create sort of an, an environment in which law enforcement is it feels justified in sort of characterizing activists in this way.
1: Well, and, and you actually cited a, a former FBI special agent, a guy by the name of Mike German, who, who said this kind of loose language may lead to the mistaken assumption that the categorization has some legal effect.
2: Precisely. You know, and, it, and it's unclear how Georgia law enforcement uh, and DeKalb County prosecutors in particular sort of arrived at at this designation they have said that it came from a from a department of homeland security assessment but you know previous reporting by grist the, the department of homeland security effectively said that they don't designate groups in that way so it's a, it's a little bit unclear where that language specifically is coming from, but 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 clearly they're using this as a way to try to undermine the, the movement. And you know, the, the I mean the implications are of course very real if you're being char- if you're uh-huh. being slapped with these charges, whether they stick or not.
1: Okay, more of our conversation with Adam Fetterman from type investigations and the grist after this. Welcome back to the Ron Show for Friday. The America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, all all the major podcast platforms as well, links to those at RonShowATL.com. Yesterday we had a chance to talk with journalist Adam Fetterman, who is an environmental journalist for Type Investigations and The Grist, and he uncovered something kind of curious. The FBI is really interested in environmental activism, not just here like the Forest Defender folks who folks look at as being sort of militaristic, but just your, pardon the phrase, garden variety <laughs> environmental. Uh, justice folks in like uh Chicago the save the park movement for example uh, I want you to hear a little bit more of that conversation I had with him earlier this week here locally city officials uh local law enforcement like to point out that most of the folks that are arrested are from outside metro Atlanta or outside the state of Georgia there's also rumors about yeah. uh, you know some some catch and release for the local folks to make that look that way but we're also talking about you know folks in their late teens early 20s by and large but what what I was what I was saying earlier about how you know the FBI nosing around in local organizations in Chicago might actually keep folks who aren't in that age bracket from wanting to participate. You talked with Jeanette Hoyt, who's a 65 year old teacher uh, from a, a Chicago college. She founded uh save Jackson park and, and now she she's kind of like, she feels like she's on an FBI watch list.
2: Right. She's in an
1: FBI file.
2: Yeah. I mean, it, it really comes down to what your uh, threshold is for, for sort of being involved in, 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 um, uh, campaigns that that may attract uh, FBI interest. Uh, y- you know, I think Jeanette was also. I didn't include this in the story, but she was very clear that, you know, in her opinion, FBI interest in in what they're doing is is sort of um, secondary. you know, she really emphasized the fact that 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 they are trying to draw attention to an issue on the south side of Chicago with the construction of the Obama presidential center and this mm. this uh, related golf course expansion that would destroy some of the only green space left um, in that part of the city. So she, for herself, speaking for herself, she was clearly undeterred by (laughs) by this uh, development.
1: Speaking of that development, in and of itself, the Obama Library in Chicago, which is a, you know, a blue city in a blue state, Atlanta, a blue city in a purplish red state. We're not talking about, you know, hardcore, hardline conservative, thin blue line Republicans that are putting these efforts together. We're we're looking at environmental activists who are working against Democrats.
2: Indeed. And, you know, obviously, you know, when it comes to to law enforcement, you know, I don't don't think it matters who is in office. You know, some of the early investigations, FBI investigations into activists campaigning against the Keystone XL pipeline that I wrote about uh, back in. 2015, um, you know, were undertaken during the Obama administration. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, this is a longstanding sort of, I guess you, you might call it a bias by the FBI in terms of the way that they frame um, environmental uh, activists. And I think what's interesting, too, is, you know, the environmental movement ha- has become with with concern around um, climate change and, and, and the way that the, the sort of nonviolent civil disobedience has emerged around major pipeline protests. You know, the environmental movement has, has gotten larger. It mm. It is, you know, more and more people who may have not been involved in, in activism um, are taking part. Mm. And, you know, at the same time, you, you know, you see the FBI kind of continuing to um, um, broaden its own sort of investigative uh, enterprise.
1: This has parallels to me with the, uh, the era of the FBI when the civil rights movement was gaining a foothold and gaining some momentum and starting to see shifts in the American mindset in general and how the FBI was hyper scrutinizing those movements too. Do you see the parallels?
2: Undoubtedly. I mean, it makes you wonder, you know, if the FBI has learned um, anything from those, (laughs) from those events, from those dark days, um, going back to what what's known as the green scare of the the late 90s and early 2000s um when environmental uh extremism was you know right up there with sort of al-qaeda as was one of the <laughs> top terror threats in the united states that legacy you know you can see that in 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 these files and and in the way that the FBI and, and Homeland Security, and all the way down to state and local law enforcement, treat and um, deal with you know um, protesters. You know, in in Atlanta now, and, and also in other cities, and other places.
1: I and I know you're you're more on the environmental. And I play the what about game a little bit with this because I, I feel like that there's that there's a lot more hyper scrutinizing of environmental activism, civil rights activism, than there is. With the, the MAGA crowd, the January 6th, the insurrectionist type, the militia folks who are, you know, doing their bidding out in the middle of Appalachia, it, it just it just feels like there's not enough tension being uh, drawn towards what is the greater domestic terror threat in this country. And it's certainly not people trying to save trees from being chopped down.
2: Hmm. No, that's a very valid point. and And that is something that Mike German, who I quoted in in the story and who you met, uh, referenced a minute ago, has Um, written about and talked about extensively these sort of uh fbi's unwillingness to um you know scrutinize uh white supremacist groups or whatever you want to call them um you know while at the same time going after um green groups and environmental activists Hmm. Um,
1: fascinating stuff well i appreciate you uh, spending some time and uh uh, enjoyed the article we're going to share that in our show notes today at ron and on all the podcast platforms as well Adam Fetterman with Type Investigations and also featured at the Gris. And by the way, uh, Type Investigations, are you guys uh, the, the kind of organization that uh, folks can donate to?
2: Yes, Type is a non nonprofit newsroom and I'm um, always looking for uh, uh, contributors, for yeah, sure.
1: Good deal. <laughs> TypeInvestigations.org for that, if you don't mind. Adam, thanks for the time. I appreciate it, buddy.
2: Thanks a lot for having me.
1: Uh, by the way, if you're just joining the show, uh, earlier today, the DeKalb County CEO, Michael Thurman, announced that uh, Entrenchment Creek Park would be shut down until further notice due to the discovery of uh, what uh, he and officials have uh, determined to be traps, booby traps, uh, that could harm folks' uh, dangerous and possible life-threatening conditions. Uh, He showed uh, a slide presentation, uh, easel presentation of uh, 2 by 4s wooden planks with uh, exposed nail heads, uh, et cetera, and so on. So uh, Entrenchment Creek Park has been closed. We also got uh, a lot more information today from investigators about the skirmish between the Georgia State Patrol officers, uh, Georgia Department of Public Safety, and uh, Manuel Pius Tehran, who was the uh, forest defender who died in that back-and-forth exchange. Uh, we're now learning that uh, pepper balls were fired into the tent uh, and that— According to investigators, Tehran, through an enclosed, fully enclosed tent, was firing uh, handgun shots from inside the tent, and uh, a handful of officers returned fire. Of course, uh, private autopsy revealing that Tehran had been shot at least 14 times, once fatally in the head. All right, we're heading to the back half of the Ron Show. Back after this, a check of the headlines at the bottom of the hour on the America One Radio app, com, Or if you're listening on a podcast platform, just stand by. Back in a sec. Second half of the Ron Show for uh, Friday. Finally, into some spring weather. And I believe the pollen count today is like supremely crazy. Which, uh, I don't know. I actually ventured out today. I had to go show some houses. I say had to. I wanted to go show some houses. Uh, I just didn't want to be out in a high pollen count day. But uh, after battling with the allergy issues last week, and I swear, I think I had a cold or something like that. My doctor's office is sort of lazy about it. Um, I feel like I'm almost 100% there again. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, hopefully heading into a weekend where, uh, uh depending on where you are, we'll have some, uh, some more nice and, uh, temperate weather. I think there's like a chance of rain this weekend. Yeah. It looks like, uh, tomorrow here in Metro Atlanta, we may have some morning rain. And then pretty nice, like a high of 80, high of 80 on Sunday as well. Partly to mostly sunny skies. Oh, yeah. Loving that. Here's what I'm not loving. I'm not loving Islamophobia. Um, we played this clip yesterday. Uh, Senator Randy Robertson from Catala. That is the Buckhead City, Randy. <laughs> Catala, nowhere near Buckhead or Atlanta. But Randy's got to give his input. Uh, Randy Addressed a representative from the Council of American Islamic Relations this way.
0: And so all I'm asking of y'all is to just n- not take action on this day and allow time for the process to work. Thank you.
2: Excuse me, real quick.
0: Yes, sir. Okay, you,
2: you came in. You came and saw me yesterday, and, and you gave me your number. And what, what what organization do you represent?
0: I work with the Council on American Islamic Relations.
2: Okay. Is
3: is it true or not true that the FBI has distanced itself from working with your group because of
1: ties to Hamas? That's uh, Randy Robertson, Senator Bubba from uh, Catala, Georgia. And listen, I know he's not the only Senator Bubba, but he is definitely a Senator Bubba. Could you imagine, by the way? If someone uh, addressed a Republican representative in such a way, uh, Senator Robertson, you're a member of the Republican Party, correct? The party, uh, I guess, currently still led by one Donald J. Trump, correct? Uh, is Would it be true to say, sir, that your party uh, has some ties and affiliations with insurrectionists on January 6th? Would you like to answer to that, sir? What a stupid, uh, just gross. Uh, anyway, um, there were nine representatives who uh, signed a letter. Actually, I say that. There are seven representatives and two senators who uh, signed this letter uh, distributed earlier today by uh, Dr. Michelle Al. that reads as such. On Thursday, March 23rd, during an early morning committee hearing, a Senate member—oh, it's Randy Ram- Robertson. Say who it is. It's Randy Robertson. Anyway, a Senate member impugned the Georgia chapter of the Council on American-Islamic Relations, CARE Georgia, a Muslim civil rights and advocacy group. This member repeated conservative media claims that CARE Georgia is affiliated with a group the U.S. government has designated a terrorist organization. As members of the Georgia's legislative Asian-American Pacific Islanders Caucus, we denounce Islamophobia in all its forms. And find this type of broad smear against Muslim Americans, particularly tasteless, on the first day of Ramadan, one of the holiest months in the Islamic faith. Hate of any kind has no home in Georgia, and that includes hate against our Muslim friends, neighbors, and family. Uh, that is signed by Dr. Michelle Au, uh, Representative Syrah Draper, uh, Nabila Islam, Senator Nabila Islam, Representative Marvin Lim, uh, Representative Farouk Mughal, uh, Representative Sam Park, Senator Sheikh Rahman, uh, Representative Ruel Roman, who by the way is going to be on the show Monday, and Representative uh, Long Tran as well. Well written, honestly. No, I take it back. Pretty well written. I, I I say you mentioned the senator's name. It was Randy Robertson. Randy from Catala Robertson. Say his name. Know his name. So uh, yes, uh, Representative Roman will be back on the show with us Monday afternoon. To kind of talk, I guess, a little retrospective about her first legislative session. Uh, you know, did it meet her expectations? Exceed? Did what? Some? What did she come to expect? What did she find uh, unexpectedly coming to her? Uh, let's see. What else? Oh, I, I definitely want to talk to her about the switcheroo on the anti-Semitism measure that she uh, totally. It just went off on a fantastic. Uh, well encapsulated thread that I shared, by the way, at Ronshowatl on Twitter. Uh, to point, in fact, she she points out uh, Randy Robertson's um, smear, uh, Islamophobic sleer, uh smear here, but also uh, talks about how the switcheroo on the uh, measure is somewhat anti-Semitic in and of itself. In any event, uh, looking forward to having uh, Representative Roman on to bring some clarity to that conversation as well. Uh, as we go to show, we're seeing no action on... Is that right? No action on SB 233. That is the uh, school voucher bill. Uh, it was tabled yesterday uh, when it appeared there weren't enough votes. Is that right? Okay. We'll keep our fingers crossed on that. Yeah. So the, the latest thing I'm reading here, uh, according to the folks at thecurrentga.org, uh... The current ga.org, uh Latest plan to expand school vouchers in Georgia dealt a blow Thursday. House failed to hold a vote after more than an hour and a half of debate. A Republican lawmaker said that Senate Bill 233 was tabled because it did not have the votes to pass. GOP leadership, according to this article, could revive the bill if they believe they have enough support to pass it. But Wednesday is the final day of the 2023 session. By the way, um, Representative Phil Olalaye, am I saying that right now? I think I'm saying it right, I hope I am. Uh, anyway, he made a, he made a pretty, uh, pretty cool floor speech that talked to uh, the inaccuracy of those who are proponents of this bill.
0: This past December, there was a tragic shooting at Atlantic Station that took the lives and futures of two children, a 12 and a 15 year old. A few weeks later, I visited with the student in my program who was shot in the leg that night. Her mother Harriet was by her side while we shared breakfast and discussed ways to ensure that these tragedies stop occurring. I asked my student, why are these things happening? And what can I do to help? She said, we need more. More after school programs. More teachers who are supported and stay. More counselors who listen and help. She said she looks around and feels like it doesn't matter her school, her future, and sometimes even her life. Back in 2019, a similar voucher bill was proposed and it would have required 48 million from taxpayers in year one, rising to a maximum of over a half billion dollars in 10 years. Mm. We should not be diverting resources to support private interests that undermine Georgia's public schools, especially our schools most in need That need more not less let's move beyond false hope and false choices in favor of better outcomes for our underserved children and families and vote no to sb 233 thank you mr speaker i yield the will
1: well good on him but they don't seem to have the votes right now so we'll keep our fingers crossed Uh, let's move over to national here a little bit uh i'm not gonna lie i had never heard of uh, Representative Jerry Connolly, before, but oh man, he brought it yesterday. Uh, his tweet If you listen to Republicans this morning, you think they slept through the Trump years. Secretary Blinken was before the House Foreign uh, Policy Committee today. I took the chance to correct the record. Turns out the Trump administration left quite a mess for him to clean up. Listen to this.
3: Thank you. <coughs> Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and welcome, Secretary Blinken. Um, Listening to my friends on the other side, especially the opening statement of the chairman, I'm reminded of the line in The Wizard of Oz, lions and tigers and bears, oh my. Because apparently you have single-handedly left the world in a mess. There's no historic context. So I want to ask a series of questions to try to get my mind around the history behind things. So for example, the chairman mentioned uh, Iran's about to become a nuclear power. Oh my, how could that happen? Well, Mr. Secretary, was there an agreement, I don't know, anywhere, that actually pushed back the nuclear development in Iran, and in fact, was working in all respects in terms of metrics?
4: Uh, there was. It was called the JCPOA, and it put Iran's nuclear program in a box, as verified not only by international inspectors, but by our own intelligence community.
3: Yes. Ah, I remember that now. And I seem to recall my friends in the SODL opposed it. Mm. And then what happened to that agreement
4: that was working? Uh, The previous administration decided to leave the agreement. I'm sorry,
3: Mr. Secretary, couldn't hear that.
4: Yes, the previous administration uh, decided to leave the agreement. (laughs) The
3: Trump administration. That's correct. Uh, Okay. My, my. Um, Afghanistan, I mean, terrible thing that happened in August of 2021, but did it have any antecedent? For example, was there anybody who said, we're going to negotiate in Doha with the Taliban, and we're going to actually exclude the government of Afghanistan, we're allegedly supporting. Breach. Did that happen? Uh,
4: the previous administration had, uh, negotiated an agreement with the Taliban uh, that called for the withdrawal of all American forces from Afghanistan by May 31st of 2021, released 5,000 uh, Taliban prisoners. Um, all oh, those terrorists in, that Mr.
3: Wilson was uh-huh.
4: In addition, uh, uh, drew down our own forces over time. To oh 2,500 when the present administration took office.
3: <laughs> and that was also, was that the Biden
4: administration? Uh, as I said, that was the previous administration.
3: Well, I'm sorry, did that have a name?
4: Uh, the Trump administration. Trump <laughs>
3: administration, thank you, okay. Was there a, a president of the United States who said that he believed the word of, uh, you know, a sociopath, Vladimir Putin, over his own intelligence community with respect to Russian interference in American elections? Did that happen?
4: i recall press uh, accounts to that uh, to that effect yes and did that president have a name Uh, i believe that was president trump
3: was there a president who denied javelins critical part of the arsenal for ukraine to defend itself before the war that began last uh february and march uh over a political issue trying to get dirt in a political Mm. opponent? did that happen
4: based on press accounts and uh, uh testimony before Congress. Uh, I believe that it did. Yes.
3: And who was that?
4: Uh, That was the previous president, President Trump.
3: President (laughs) Trump. Was there a president who disparaged NATO and said it was obsolete and we probably don't really need it anymore? Any president ever say that in the history since the founding 73 years ago of NATO?
4: Based on public statements that uh, I've read, yes, I believe that President Trump said that.
3: And from your point of view as the current secretary, is NATO playing any kind of non-obsolete role in the current war in Europe?
4: NATO is playing an absolutely essential, vital role in uh, ensuring the security of Europe and deterring further aggression by Russia uh, against Europe. Most of us kind of find, you know,
3: we're worried about the climate. Was there any kind of, I don't know, international agreement on the climate accord that had every nation on Earth as a member except for two?
4: That would be the Paris Agreement.
3: Par- and what happened to that?
4: Uh, uh, the United States uh, at one point withdrew from the Paris Agreement. Uh, president Biden uh, re-engaged uh, us in Paris. And
3: again, Mr. Blinken, did that president who withdrew from the Paris Climate Accord that had all <coughs> countries on Earth but two, who? what was the name of that president who withdrew us from that?
4: Uh, again, in this case, the Trump administration withdrew from that agreement.
3: Well, I just say there might be... We might all have cause to say lions, tigers, and bears, oh my. That
4: I don't but
3: it ain't about the Biden policies. It's about the previous administration that left a mess uh, and that cost lives uh, because of decisions made or not made with respect to relations across the board. I yield back.
1: Jerry Connolly, 72-year-old representative from Boston, Massachusetts. You go, dude. And a little humble brag here, but it sounds like Representative Connolly may have been listening to The Ron Show a lot the last, I don't know, six months or so. You know, the entire existence of The Ron Show. Probably not, but it seems like we're both sipping from the same stream. Okay. All right, one more segment. Let's see what's happening on this date in women's history after the break. Oh hey, you're still here. Hey, that's cool. Thanks for sticking around. Not only am I host of the Ron Show, I'm also Ron Roberts, real estate agent slash Realtor with EXP Realty. That's right. I help folks buy and sell residential real estate in and around Metro Atlanta. And we've been through a crazy couple of years, have we not? Between COVID, the post-COVID market, the craziness. You could throw an open house on a souped-up tool shed and you would have cars lined around the block to come in and see it and throw an offer well over asking price. Well, those days are no longer a part of us, and interest rates are a little higher than they were before. But I must say, it's still a great time to either buy or sell, or both, real estate, residential real estate, in Metro Atlanta. Why buy? I tell tenuous buyers all the time, if you are renting right now, you are paying someone else's retirement accounts your money and it might as well go to you. The cost of housing in Atlanta is not going to get cheaper. The population is going to continue to grow well into the 2040s, with nearly a million and a half new residents expected to come here. So you better get a house sooner rather than later. And if you can afford to buy an investment property, now if you already own your home, why not buy one nearby you as well and create some additional income that could be your retirement savings? And you get to choose one of your new neighbors. Now, if you're thinking about selling, but you're thinking, oh man, I really missed out on that huge market in the past summer or two. Okay, yeah, sure. But the values aren't dropping. So you've still got plenty you've earned just by owning what you're in and need to sell soon. Got questions? Feel free to hit me up. 843-283-0078 or email me ron at rononthereal.com. Georgia MLS 396-720. Website rononthereal.com. That's me, Ron Roberts with eXp Realty.
0: This is Is The Ron Show on America One Radio.
1: So before we end the weekend, uh, Mayor Andre Dickens, in a pretty lengthy interview with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, has basically reiterated his support for the Atlanta Police Training Facility. And he's kind of taken a dodge at uh, assessing any blame on himself for this. He did inherit this agreement, by the way. He says, this isn't my fault but it is my problem to deal with and I like to see things through. So uh, he, uh, you know, continued in the interview to talk about the need for a training facility for the state's largest police force. Uh, He says, right now we do not have a place of our own that is training the state's largest police force and the state's largest fire force. That's scary. But he also uh, wanted to point to uh, uh, plans to clean debris from the hundreds of acres of woods and outfit the area with trails for public use. Um, He says he's gone door to door in nearby neighborhoods and says most residents support the project. Hmm. Uh, He said, uh, trucks could be moving right now, but I'm also having a conversation with community and I want it to be a fair and balanced conversation. We'll see about it. There's just to me, the, 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 the part that I have a problem with is there's been, no conversation with local environmental activists. Uh, you know, the the South river watershed Alliance comes to mind, for example. And, um, obviously I, I, you know, I, I don't know, do you, do you want to meet with the folks who are in the forest? It, It, it might actually, it might actually give you an upper hand PR wise to at least extend the olive branch to, to foster a conversation. Um, and he, he actually confesses to some shortcomings. From a political and communication standpoint, maybe we could have done some things to get out ahead of it so that the narrative would have been in our favor. This makes it an uphill battle, but we still have the facts in our favor more so than the narrative. Uh, we'll share that piece uh, in today's show notes uh, at ronshowetl.com. A little turmoil in the Atlanta public school system as uh, a couple hundred students at Midtown High School, that used to be Grady High School, uh, the uh, city of Atlanta, getting some uh, Confederates and some racist figures' names off of schools. Kudos to them. Anyway, uh, Midtown High School students, about 200 of them, uh, walked out today in protest over some plans to redistrict uh, some 219 students from Midtown High School over to uh, Booker T. Washington High School, which I believe is at less than 60% capacity. Right now, Midtown is at like 107%. And so uh, there are two plans on the books. One, of course, is to to redraw some maps and to alleviate the overcrowding uh, there and at uh, David Howard Middle School and some of the feeder elementary schools as well for uh, Midtown High School, or to uh, work on some To facility work at Midtown High School to help accommodate a larger student population. Uh, Now, uh, the APS folks handling this, I think, about as judiciously as they can. uh, Applauding the peaceful protest, but also handing out uh, tardy and unexcused absence passes as well. So there's that. Uh, Anyway, it's kind of cool to see the the kids doing this in a uh, a peaceful manner. Uh, There's also a movement afoot in Cobb County. Oh, here we go again, another city. Uh, This one would be called Lost Mountain. There was actually a referendum on this that did not pass back in uh, 2022. Uh, State Senator Ed Seltzer um, is behind the measure. He was encouraged by the 10,000 folks or, or so who voted in favor of it. Of course, they were outnumbered. He says to see the uptake and support that emerged after a very short amount of time because the consensus of what folks in West Cobb County share about preserving a quality of life was actually very, very encouraging. So, um, now there seems to be a new movement afoot to create a West Cobb city called Lost Mountain. Do you want to live in a town called Lost Anything? Uh, Anyway, Lost Mountain, um, working on some new boundaries. Uh, this uh, new map removes, uh, portions of, uh, the Eastern and Southern precincts that they had, uh, Uh, included before most of those precincts voting against that measure, and it would shrink the city's population from about 74,000. Wow. A lost mountain was going to be populated by 74,000 people down to 36,000. Interesting to see how this all plays out. Uh, Obviously, you know, there's been some bumps in the road with the creation of the city of Mableton. Uh, They just had their election earlier this week and turnout was, turnout was kind of abysmal. Uh, And in fact, (laughs) Now there's a runoff in the mayor's race, and the leading candidate from the first election actually was someone who voted against the creation of the city of Mapleton in the first place. So, okay, Cobb County, get your crazy on. Uh, Before we go, let's do this. We've been uh, spending some time each uh, show to spotlight uh, some key moments and key figures in women's history. It is Women's History Month, after all. And it was on this day, March 24th, that Matilda Jocelyn Gage, a suffragist and women's right and Native American rights activist, was born today in the year 1826. Suffragism in the early 1800s, not a thing. Early 1900s, more a thing. She was well ahead of her time. Uh, So to to be a suffragist, a women's right advocate, and an advocate for Native American rights in the 1820s, that's a brave lady. Uh, Matilda Jocelyn Gage is her name. She was born on this day in 1826. A founding member of the National Women's Suffrage Association. Ladies, your right to vote can be traced back to Matilda Jocelyn Gage, born on this day in 1826. Uh, Dorothy Height served over 40 years as president of the National Council of Negro Women. She was born on this day in 1912. And here we go. In 2002, (laughs) Halle Berry won an Academy Award for her performance in the movie Monsters Ball. Oh, I remember that movie. Uh, Making her the first black woman to win in the Best Actress category. And that was just in the year 2002, just 21 years ago on this day. All right, that ought to wrap up the show for the week. I want to thank you for listening uh, all this time. I want to thank, uh, again, uh, Adam Fetterman. For joining us from Type Investigations Uh, yesterday, had him on the show yesterday and today as well. If at some point in time you may have missed any of the interview because of, you know, my boneheadedness getting the segments up to uh, the folks at American One Radio, remember, you can hear all the shows in their entirety in podcast form uh, on all the major podcast providers. Just look for The Ron Show. If it's easier for you to find The Ron Show by just going to the link, I've got all those links for you there at uh, ronshowatl.com. Y'all, we're getting close to the start of baseball season. Uh, How do you feel about the shortstop situation? Orlando Arcia? Yeah. Von Grissom will be in Gwinnett, so if you want to go see him play, you can go watch him as a Gwinnett striper. I always have to remember it's striper. Gwinnett striper uh, to start the season. But I'm ready. I'm ready for some baseball. The weather's nice. Hopefully you'll get out and enjoy some of that uh, activity this weekend. Don't forget the uh, WanderNorthGeorgia.com uh, March Madness Bracket for the North Georgia State Parks. Participate in that. Uh, in fact, there should be down to maybe down to an Elite Eight. I'll check that out for myself, and we'll update that Monday. Have a great weekend doing whatever you do. We'll see you back here Monday, 5 to 6 p.m. on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com.